from the Mercy One Studio. Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner. And I'm Dr. Bud Marr. We are coming to you live from these United States of America from the uh, Des Moines area. Uh, Bud is technically not in Des Moines, but spiritually is there in Des Moines. We're both at Mercy College of Health Sciences, where I am uh, the director of the Center for Human uh, Flourishing at Mercy College and uh, the Senior Advisor for Mission Initiatives and Spiritual Health. Bud, what do you do at the good old College of Mercy College? I'm academic dean at the college, Bud, but just hearing your titles, it makes me a little bit anxious. I don't know. <laughs> like you're, I, I know it's not a contest, but it just sounds on paper like you're wielding more power than I am now. I just think it's, t- I have more words uh, because uh, I don't know how to be as succinct as you, but as uh, the academic dean, those two words mean a lot. So I like throwing in different things. But uh, as you're pointing out, but uh, one of the starting new initiatives at Mercy College, uh, where we're trying to talk about health, not only in terms of bodily health, but things that we've been near and dear to us on the show, Bud, where we talk about health in the whole person, making an integrated whole, both of body and spirit and soul, but also community, economic, philosophical, religious, all those things as well. And so this Center for Human Flourishing that we're just starting, uh, hopefully we get to do something about all that, something that the Uncommon Good has uh, been a central part of a discussion at Mercy College. And that's why Mercy College has underwritten us. And so we want to say thank you to Mercy College for doing so. mchs.edu for anyone interested in the myriad programs that we have going on. We've had to, of course, adapt like the entire world has uh, to the pandemic. Uh, we've we've figured out, we've been looking and trying to figure out how to do that best. And I think we've faithfully been keeping our students in mind, but also our communities who need our students so badly. It's very heartening, Bud, that in all the things going on, we're seeing more and more inquiries into the fields mm-hmm. of nursing and allied health. And so we're looking forward to the honor of helping people become healthcare professionals at Mercy College, mchs.edu. Well, when I was growing up, there's one hymn that was popular at, at, at the church I was raised in, Count Your Blessings, you know, and this time of year, I do, that tends to be on my mind um, a bit more with the year winding down. And Bo, I think it has been, I, I mean, since the genesis of the show, a blessing to be on air on Iowa Catholic Radio. But this year, especially, I think, you know, with the show about the common good, we've seen so many uh, interweaving conversations where our life as Catholics with our faith, uh, with, you know, economic questions, uh, public health, et cetera, those things are all woven together. And so we can't com- compartmentalize our lives. And I think like you're saying, Mercy College, it's, it's just great to have that in the Des Moines community where those questions are being posed from a perspective of faith. But you're bringing together all of those concerns, you know, financial, health, spiritual instead of, you know, so to speak, like separating them off into different spheres. I, we, we who get the chance to talk about Catholic things regularly, 
that is dorks, I was trying to say it nicely, but Catholic dorks who get to write or talk about these things, like joking around using the, the phrase both and, that in Catholic world we say a lot of both and, not either or. Uh, in some ways, I think it, it makes a resurgence as a term because for a while there it was being used too much. But there's something to it that we want to point out that compartmentalizing siloing is another way to say this, but fracturing what God has put together, uh, a constant refrain in the scriptures, as something you shouldn't do. So not only, like you said, on the show, but as, as the college, primarily it seems talking about physical health. But the minute that we talk about the fact that the Sisters of Mercy have long cared about two things, uh, they have all sorts of concerns, but two that you just see all through their history, which is healing people who are sick and educating people who don't have one. That right there, bud, at our campus is an icon of what everything Catholic should be, the both and, body and soul. Because to heal the body, you have to use your mind, you have to use your soul. But also, when we then go to heal, we have to have in mind that healing involves so many other things. I, I'm going to say this uh, for, it's just a new uh, soapbox that I'm going to keep repeating. But the word heal, H-E-A-L, comes from an older word that means to make whole, to make complete again. And so that's what we set out to do on this show, to make com- to talk about how we have complete communities, the common good. But, but I think that flows naturally into what we're yeah. going to talk about today. We have a, a Catholic all-star again back on the show, Brandon McGinley. Yeah, Brandon, a good friend of ours, a Catholic writer and speaker from Pittsburgh. This is actually, Bo, according to my count, the third time he's been on the show in 2020. The first was uh, right after the Holy Father did that um, special, I'm going to mispronounce it. It's like uh, Ubi et Orbi, like a, an address to the world and had this Eucharistic benediction and blessing. And, and Brandon came on and gave some wonderful thoughts about that. Secondly, his book, The Prodigal Church, we had him on to discuss that one. Uh, but today, uh, he's actually, he's been, he's been productive in 2020, where the rest of us have maybe been spending a little bit too much time on Twitter. He's got another book out. It's called It Is Right and Just, Why the Future of Civilization Depends on True Religion. So a book, I think, that coalesces just perfectly with the kind of issues that we try to talk about here on The Uncommon Good. Yeah, a book that he co-authored with Scott Hahn, and so we're interested to uh, see the insights that of everything we talked about in this intro segment. This is what we'll be talking about today, so stick around. This is The Uncommon Good. Bo Bonner and Dr. Budmar back with Brandon McGinley right after this. <laughs> Folks, if you have questions for The Uncommon Good or Iowa Catholic Radio in general, easy to ask them. All you have to use is the zip whip line. 515-223-1150, 515-223-1150, the Zip Whip Line. Your connection to everything Iowa Catholic Radio. If you want to leave a message, a suggestion, a criticism for the uncommon good, hashtag UCG for the uncommon good, and people at the radio station will let us know what your thoughts are, and we'll try to address them on air. The Zip Whip Line. 515-223-1150, 515-223-1150. Questions for the show, questions about how to donate and keep this uh, ministry on air, or if you just want to say hello, 
We would love to hear from you. This is The Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr, and we will be back right after this. Thank you, Blessment International, for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Everyone lives their life 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. How we use that time directly affects if our life will leave a significant impact or not. Each year, Blessment International leads Central Iowans on a 12-day, all-inclusive experience sharing the heart of Christ with children in South Africa. Teams are forming to do something significant in an African child's life. Learn more at BlessmanInternational.org. That's BlessmanInternational.org. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio's broadcast of Dowling Catholic Sports and Activities is provided by Kemen, a global ingredient manufacturer using science to transform the quality of life for 80% of the world. Kemen is on the leading edge of molecular science, manufacturing more than 500 specialty ingredients for the human and animal health and nutrition, pet food, aquaculture, nutraceutical, food technologies, crop technologies, and textile industries. Kemen strives to sustainably transform the quality of life every day for 80% of the world with their products and services. Kemen, using science to transform the world. Online at Kemen.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Storm Alert Weather is provided by Divine Treasures. Divine Treasures is a Catholic book and gift store serving the Des Moines community for over 25 years. Their mission is to help Catholics know, love, and keep their faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and His Church. Divine Treasures is where you can find great Catholic books, beautiful Bibles, rosaries, jewelry, statues, and religious gifts for those memorable events in your life. Divine Treasures, 5701 Hickman Road, Des Moines, 515-255-5230. Thank you to Divine Treasures for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Need an experienced attorney for legal matters? I know a guy. Stephen C. Reed, attorney at law, is a proud supporter of Iowa Catholic Radio. Steve is a longtime resident of Iowa and is licensed to practice in all Iowa state and federal courts. He has years of experience in real estate law, wills, conservatorships, trusts, and estate planning. Steve's law office phone number is 515-224-1776. That's 515-224-1776. The Uncommon Good, Bob Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr, joining you this Wednesday. Thank you for being on the show, uh, joining us for the show, I should say. Uh, we look forward to getting a chance to speak with you. And like I said, we have an Uncommon Good all-star back on the show. Bud, I'll pitch it over to you to introduce him. Yeah, our guest this morning is a returning guest, of course, Brandon McGinley, who's a Catholic writer and speaker based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He's written on all sorts of topics, but these days I would encourage you to check out his new books, The Prodigal Church, and the one we're discussing today, which he co-authored with Scott Hahn, It Is Right and Just, Why the Future of Civilization Depends on True Religion. Brandon, thanks for being back on the show. Hey guys, great to talk with you again. So Brandon, you know, we kind of pride ourselves, we, we stole this vision from Bill O'Reilly that uh, this is the no-spin zone. Here on the Uncommon Good. <laughs> and uh, I warned guests about that, but I feel like it needs to go both ways. So with this first question, you know, it's an open floor. Feel free to be as honest as you need to be. But how has Pittsburgh adjusted to the Mar family leaving? <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. Brutal. Our kids were so disappointed um, because that time when we were over there, bud, and you had all the scooters and the basketballs and everything, and you guys, you know, being out in the suburbs a little bit had more space than we had in the city. So our kids were so disappointed when they heard that the the family with the scooters were leaving. 
it's all very much false advertising. You know, uh, most of the time at our house, it's just homeschooling and no eye contact. But when we invite the Brookliners <laughs> up to the suburbs, we break out the roasted marshmallows and the scooters and, you know, <laughs> um, well, um, in all seriousness, th- this new book, it's really great. I, I got the chance to get it beforehand and just, um, really, um, went through it very quickly. I, it's fascinating how you and, um, Dr. Hans start off the book because you start with a quotation from Karl Marx and I'll be honest, Brandon, growing up and, uh, attending a private Christian school, we were taught that there were like four intellectual horsemen of the apocalypse. It was like <laughs> Freud, Nietzsche, Darwin, and Marx. But you, you begin the book with this quotation by Marx where he describes religion as the opium of the masses. And, and, and kind of introductions to the history of philosophy, you know, you'll get this like brief, well, M- Marx thought that religion was the opium of the masses. And therefore, you know, he was sort of like anti-God, anti-religion. Right. And you and Dr. Hahn point out that there's something a bit more complex going on there. And I think this is a great starting point. Could you provide a bit more context with what Marx says in that section of his writings and what he's kind of driving at there? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. You know, um, yeah, it's taken to mean a kind of uh, uncomplicated disdain for, uh, for religion, that, that, that idea of religion being the opium of the masses. But what he's describing actually, he, he sees it as a, as a bad thing, but in a very different way, in a sense, he sees it as a bad thing within his materialist, historicist worldview, precisely because it's a good thing. Because religion um, and a and a uh, the, the balm of the supernatural um, distracts the proletariat from understanding that it's oppressed. Because religion helps uh, helps people to manage. Uh, this veil of tears, uh, it, um, it, uh, it, it, it is, it, it gets in the way, it gets in the way of, of his view of what, uh, of what the proletariat should, uh, should come to understand about its position in the world. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that, 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 that complication there is important because, um, because, you know, the, uh, we we don't we it, it it helps us to see how um how uh how, how how religion even in the mind of someone who is perceived to be one of the most anti faith anti supernatural uh, visions in the uh, um, uh, intellectuals in in history um, could see the uh, the importance even though again he kind of flips it in the inverse he could see the importance of that supernatural view to human flourishing again even though he kind of flips it well and that gets to another point that you all helpfully discuss near the beginning of the book and that is in today's context sometimes when we use that term religion we might be using it in a very different way than it had been understood in previous eras especially you'd say like in a pre-modern christendom context but even uh differently than it was understood in the ancient world i think um could you talk about the ways that we sometimes think about religion today and how that's, you know, falls short maybe of how it would have been understood in previous centuries. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and that's the other thing that goes along with that, with that, that that phrase of Marx is that we, we implicitly accept his view of what religion is, which is basically kind of what I was saying before, any 
supernatural belief system, you might say. And there are several religions, all of which have some sort of a claim to truth, and they um, they act uh, similarly, uh, merely by virtue of their supernatural nature in um in human in human well-being and human flourishing some might be a little bit more true a little bit more helpful a little bit more socially useful than others but uh but that's really all we can say about religion sociologically that's that's the that's the view that i think even the vast majority of christians today have imbibed um we have some notion that the christian faith is true or truer than others but it's still just one religion among many um and this is uh, this is a, a, a this is an innovation. This is a new way of thinking about religion that would have been more or less incomprehensible to most people before the modern era, where religion would have been understood not as a uh, not as an accessory to human life, not as um, a collection of options, but as a virtue, and very specifically as a virtue that is intrinsically related to the to the idea of justice that religion supernaturally is the way we do justice to god and if you go farther back as you were saying if you go back to the to to pre-christian times if you go back to cicero you see the idea of natural religion which is so something that's in a sense real to this day in as much as it, it involves uh the duties that we owe to truth, the duties that we owe to uh, that we owe uh, to to our society, uh, these are related to justice, and these are related, in a sense, to religion, in as much as we are recognizing and living in uh, the truth. So, Brandon, to uh, to stay on Marx a little longer, because I'm sure that will make Saint Paul Center happy to know you're talking yeah. about this book, so we keep bringing it to Marx. <laughs> um, so uh, the, the leftist magazine Jacobin just published an article. It's weird that we're talking about this, where they talked about eight things that Karl Marx is drastically misunderstood. And not like uh, we don't have to praise him for these things, but literally people take the quotes out of context. One of them is about yours. The other is his all things melt into air comment, which is interesting, right? Because Marx actually was a big admirer of Adam Smith and the Wealth of Nations, and he even talked about how the the new capital order that he saw, the bourgeois order as he called it, uh, was this important force precisely because in a matter of 100 years in his time, it had, quote, melted all things to air. All of these things that have been uh, foundational in times before have now started to fade away. And Marx actually saw that as a good, just a good that like needed to progress further. Right. But to your point about religion, um, that this is exactly where the <laughs> the impasse might be. It's because a lot of Christians, by what Marx and Adam Smith together both thought about the future of economic history, and that so religion has to become something like a personal consumer choice rather than what you're talking about as a foundation of the moral order and justice. So surprisingly, it seems to me, and I think this is what your book is getting at, even if it might be obliquely, it's, it's where the listener to the radio station now agrees with Karl Marx, right. among other people, over against this older understanding of religion, where the problem actually rests. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, we talk in the book about how about how justice is cruciform, how the vertical axis of justice, that is to say, the justice we owe to God uh, is essential to the support of the horizontal axis of justice. That is to say, the justice in this world that we owe to our fellow men. Um, and and you know, the point of the book is to basically introduce these ideas that are foundational to the way the church conceived of herself for the vast, 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 vast majority of her history. And still is today. It's just muted. Um, we're trying to reintroduce these ideas. Like, it is right and just. That phrase from, from the mass is attested to at least, I think, the second or third century. It's extremely ancient. So this idea of religion as justice, this is there from the very beginning. Uh, and it even has pre-Christian roots. Um, so we're trying to, to, to introduce these ideas. So it's like the idea of the cruciform justice, you know. But you drill down a little bit deeper and you're getting into what you're saying, Bo, that when that the combination of a disinterest in justice to God, that is to say religion, true religion, that's what we say in the title, true religion, and in, 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 in ignorance of or indifference to justice to our fellow man, these turn out to, to reinforce one another negatively. And so we shouldn't be surprised then that a that when we order society in such a way that it structurally denies justice in this world, that it also has impacts on the way we think about God, God who who demands justice. Um, and so, and similarly, again, when we organize society in such a way, and this is what we focus on in the book, and I want to stress this, you know, when you organize society in such a way that it ignores or is indifferent to justice in the vertical axis, supernatural justice, the virtue of religion, then we should not be surprised when the horizontal axis falls apart, when we can't even conceive of what it would be like to live in a just society. Or, of course, what we see today, we have concepts of justice that hint at something like true justice or that have a um, a kind of tangential relationship to it, but often go off wildly into directions um, that are imprudent or uh, or 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 uh, elevate some uh, um, uh, some good, uh, you know, disproportionately to to the, at the expense of others or, or so on. And so, um, you know, if you take one thing away from the book, uh, uh, certainly this concept of justice, it is understanding the intrinsic relationship between in not just individuals relationship with the lord but families and communities and societies and civilizations relationship with true religion and their relationship with justice in this world well brandon i think uh, that's an, an important point to maybe stick with a little bit longer so <clears throat> excuse me uh one one sentence that jumped out to me was that justice only makes sense in the context of community and i yeah. i'm always a little bit nervous on the show like when Bo and i use the term liberalism that it's another one of these terms that it mean it means something where we're at today when we talk about like liberalism as a philosophical tradition you know there's a, there's a whole nother sort of ball of wax that we're dealing with and um i i think that's a helpful point because if if liberalism as we're discussing has its shortcomings the impulse is to say like well the answer then is conservatism right 
<laughs> and we sort of yeah. we, we sort of set these two things against each other, liberalism on one side and conservatism on another. But I, th- I think you in the book helped to, to show that what we call conservatism in the U.S. very often operates according to these same liberal assumptions about human beings and society. So, I mean, yeah. not to pick on any one group, but I'm going to do it. So you, you have uh, like sort of a political movement in the U.S. called libertarianism. And if you listen to cable news, like this is part of the conservative movement. But libertarianism has this notion that like as an individual, I can sort of appropriate liberty regardless of what's taking place in the broader society. But but the Catholic understanding of the common good just obliterates that idea, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, America, we, Americans have a odd relationship with what we call conservatism because the thing that American conservatives now this is starting to change a little bit in in small in some circles you may even there even may even be a few prominent politicians who are hedging this way but but American conservatism is trying to conserve liberalism which is that is to say traditional classical whatever liberalism which (laughs) lionizes concepts that here's another here's another economic concept that got flipped creative destruction we talk about this as a good thing this was not the the concept was originally supposed to be in criticism of um of uh uh, of of the capitalist um kind of uh callousness toward um toward uh uh, toward the way, um, toward the way institutions and organizations and even people um, get swallowed up by the thing and melted into air, as it were, um, and uh, and so the, the what the the paradox of American conservatism, as it's been, you know, for most of its modern history at least, is that it's trying to conserve precisely the thing that is devouring tradition, that is devouring institutions, that is devouring. Um, the uh, um, uh, institutional and uh, and arguably at least moral and spiritual and religious foundations uh, of uh, of a decent society, um, and so uh, American conservatism finds itself in a really odd spot, um, and uh, and so for our purposes, then we kind of want to look beyond look beyond these distinctions um, and say. What what are um, what are the what are the deeper misunderstandings uh, that lead us to where we are? What are the deeper deeper misunderstandings of secularism, of uh, kind of liberal individualism, that lead us to a position where we can't even really conceive of what it would mean for religion to be anything more than an individual and private matter, an individual and private uh, hobby. Um, and so, you know, kind of trying to return to return isn't the right word because it's not about I want to be, you know, this is something everything that I do. I try to be clear. It's not about finding some time in the past. Oh, if we could just return to the 1950s or the 1350s or whatever. Return, return with a V, right? Return. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But what what about the older traditional understanding of religion? First of all, what about it is true, which is all of it. Um but how is that applicable to to this moment, to to the 21st century? Um, and the first step to, to getting to that point 
is to understand where we've gone wrong. Well, yeah, Brandon, we're getting to come up on the break, but just immediately to say what we're, what we're finding ourselves in, uh, there's the, I think this is Kierkegaard. It might be Nietzsche, whoever it is. The saying is we like to look at the ancients and think they're old, but of course they were young in terms of philosophy, right? When yeah. Socrates is talking about philosophy, it's like at most a hundred year enterprise, uh, at least how the Greeks conceived of it, right? Like Thales was like not long before Socrates and he, at least the Greeks claim, the first one to really talk about it. Right. We've had years and years and eons to talk about these things. And it's interesting to unfortunately use another Hegelian term, how words get reified and we act like, oh, well, they're the baseline of all human history, even though they usually have a very concrete historical instance. So for instance, when we talk about the left wing and the right wing, we literally are using words from where people set uh, in, in a, in a hall, hall during the French Revolution. And then we try to act like this is sort of uh, political philosophy for all time since. Um, we're all still wrestling with, it seems, the outcropping of the French Revolution and then Hegel putting a new spin on it when Napoleon shows up. We're still wrestling with these terms. And I think that that's why the work that this book does is so important. Because when words sort of lose their meaning because they've been used so often and they've had such signification sort of uh, jostled back and forth where words can literally come to mean their opposites because of the sort of history of how we talked about these things. It's time to try to be clarifying. It's time to try to, uh, to, to, be, to, to be simple, not in saying that we're trying to be dull or easy, but to say, let's go back and ask the beginning of these words. It's not necessarily, like you said, that the words were better or meant more back in the past, but to return there is to ask fundamental questions once more and to question fundamental assumptions, which goes back to asking what is revolutionary and what's not. And it's easy to think that something like uh, the economic order is not revolutionary when, in fact, like you said, with that term like creative destruction, it's been one of the most revolutionary things ever because of its sheer power, globalization, all these things like this. The question starts to be, of course, not if it's old, it must be good. But the, the question we can ask is what from the past is worth uh, holding on to come what may. Absolutely. And when we get back from the break, I think that's what we're going to dive into more. This is The Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr with Brandon McGinley talking about his new book he co-authored with Scott Hahn. It is right and just. This is The Uncommon Good. Stick around. We'll be back right after this. <laughs> Folks, if you want to keep in touch with Iowa Catholic Radio, it's easy to do so. All you have to do is use our social media. You can go to iowacatholicradio.com, listen live online, donate, sign up for newsletters, even see pictures of the host if you are extremely bored. Or you can go to Facebook and type in Iowa Catholic Radio, befriend us, and by the good will of Zuckerberg, we will now be friends, and you can see our posts. You can also go to Twitter, at IA Catholic Radio, and then you will be able to see our tweets, and life will never be the same. Finally, if you want to download Iowa Catholic Radio app, wherever there is data, you can listen live, listen to uh, the music channel, find prayers in different languages, donate, everything like that as well. 
We hope you find us there. This is The Uncommon Good, and we'll be back right after this. Thank you to Mercy One for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. From the cardiovascular experts at the Iowa Heart Center to the pediatric services of Mercy Children's Hospital and Clinics, Mercy provides complete care for Central Iowa's adults and children with more than 50 primary care and specialty clinics in the Des Moines area. Find a convenient Mercy One location near you. Online at mercydesmoines.org. Hi, this is Father John Ricardo, and I want to thank Caldwell Parish Funeral Home and Crematory for underwriting Christ is the Answer. Losing a loved one, as we know, is never easy, and it can leave you feeling lost and even hopeless at times. But Caldwell Parish helps ease that burden by sincerely caring both about your loss and about your faith. Caldwell Parish Funeral Home and Crematory is Des Moines' only Catholic-owned and operated funeral home. The number is 515-276-0551 or online at caldwellparish.com. Thank you, Construction Professionals, for your support of Dowling Catholic Sports 365. Construction Professionals is a family-owned business dedicated to our customers. Whether designing, building, or renovating, we are here to better serve you. Our passion for quality craftsmanship, paired with our dedication to creativity, result in a home that reflects your personality, style, and family function. Construction Professionals. Design. Build. Renovate. cpcustomhomes.com. From our family to yours. God bless. Here's your forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. High pressure will stay in place for the next couple of days, but we do have a change coming on Friday with a cold front moving in. We'll be in the mid-50s with sunshine for the afternoon, down to about 30 and clear overnight. Then mid-50s again tomorrow with sunshine. Showers are possible Friday. The weather is brought to you by Divine Treasures, a Catholic book and gift store serving the Des Moines community for over 25 years. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio. Back with the Uncommon Good, Bob Bonner and Dr. Bud Parr joining you this Wednesday. Thank you for listening to the show. We have as our guest an Uncommon Good all-star, Brandon McGinley, co-author of the new book with Scott Hunt. It is right and just. Brandon, thank you for coming back on the show. Oh, yeah, this is great. I know Bud has more non-Pittsburgh-specific questions, so Bud, I'll <laughs> toss it over to you. Well, Brandon, the, the the first half of this show I feel like is the lighthearted and fluffy stuff, but now it's time to... <laughs> Hagel and Marks. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hagel, you know, it all ends well, I guess. <laughs> um, now, now it's time to play a bit of devil's advocate. So, uh, you know, I think for... I was trying to enter into the book sort of from the mindset of maybe what some of my students would think about it. And you, you talk in the book about how um, when we talk about the common good, when we talk about uh, social issues, there's no neutral standpoint. And I'll be honest, that was in classroom, one of the hardest ideas to kind of, you know, throw out there. Because, for instance, when Bo and I were teaching bioethics, there's kind of this idea like, well, that's the Catholic position. And, you know, like a long right. time ago, some guy with a white beard received these stone tablets and it had these ideas that fell from heaven. But that doesn't really work for us. And today we've sort of moved on and now we approach medical issues with like the rational standpoint. And I think right. you do a great job in the book of showing like even when we talk about issues like abortion, pornography, you know, sometimes 
people will say like, well, if you don't like those things, just don't do it in your own life or something like that, you know, and you point out that if it, if this was a neutral question, people would not care so much. Like, so, so on the left, you know, like some will say like these things are necessary or maybe even integral, essential to freedom. So there seems to be a lot at stake, but I'm, I'm imagining the pushback still. So if I assigned uh, this text in one of my classes, I imagine the pushback at some point, Brandon, would be like, aren't these guys floating the idea of a theocracy? Like, isn't this a path to just a very religious society? And to, to sort of pick on you a little bit, Brandon, you know, like when your own people, like with the, the Irish historically, like when the English tried to impose, quote unquote, like their way of life um, on Irish Catholics, they were like, right. hell no, you know, right? And so... Right. Um, but but you've already talked about in the first half of the show that like they, you've thrown out the term the true religion, and I think that gets uh, uh, that starts us down the road of like how would how we would respond to this question. What would you start to say when that sort of pushback was raised? There's a meme going around Twitter today that everyone's dunking on. Thank goodness, uh, with picture of six prominent, largely popular, not actually very, I guess some of them may be decent scientists, um, says, imagine a world that is ruled by scientists, not by politicians. <laughs> <laughs> and it has like Richard Dawkins, you know, and, and, you know, the, <laughs> was it Neil deGrasse Tyson in any event, uh, the, uh, but the idea behind the meme is that these scientists and physicists, whatever, that they would rule from a perspective of objectivity and a kind of neutral view of reality. Whereas with politicians, we're stuck with crazy Christians and weird leftists and all these people who are all subjective, whereas scientists are objective. And this is just a great example of, of how we are um, catechized into believing that First of all, there exists some some kind of a neutral frame. And second of all, that it is a necessarily secular, atheistic, materialist frame. That that's the only way we can conceive of something being um, uh, being uh, um, objective or neutral. Uh, but of course, what you've done then is you've ruled out religion, certainly true religion. Uh, you've ruled out any number of things as um as being parts of frankly reality itself um these again get relegated to hobbies or accessories to human life um and so uh but you know thank goodness it, it is a, it is a it is a testament to, to the way that that um that uh um that 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 idea is being seen for, for being false that, you know, this meme is being dunked on on Twitter right now, which is nice. Not even just in my world, you know, it's, it's being, uh, it, it, people are understand on some level and are coming to understand more and more that there is no neutrality and that the scientists will rule from, um, from, from, a, from a, with, with a collection of values, um, that uh, that are, are not neutral at all, and that rule out uh, and that rule out um, certain aspects of uh, of what is true, um, and so the question then becomes: when we talk about theocracy. The question isn't shall we organize our society around religion. 
The question is, which religion, which object of worship, which values, which conception of truth shall we organize our society around? Uh, and once you see that, once you see that it's not a question of religion or not religion, in some sense, it's not a question of theocracy or not theocracy, but which religion, which theocracy, which, uh, which value system, which truth will we enshrine, will we organize everything around? And once you see that, once you break through the haze of neutrality speak and liberal neutrality and all that, you can't go back. You see it everywhere. You see this fake neutrality everywhere. You see how it is corrupting the way we think of truth itself because it's presenting as neutral and objective something that's not neutral and objective. Um, but that's also a scary thing because if there is no neutrality, if there is if there is an objective truth, but it is not neutral among conceptions of God or conceptions of morality, but in fact enshrines, a, it, it, is, it is, is instantiated in a particular conception of God, um, the real conception of God, the true religion, that's frightening because that means, oh, wow, that means people are wrong. They're really wrong and they're doing things that are wrong and they're organizing society in a wrong way. And, uh, and we are trained, again, we are catechized from birth in this modern world to think that is going to lead to violence. That's going to lead to people being at each other's throats because if we, if we, there's no neutral frame, then eventually we're going to have to, uh, we're going to have to uh, decide the thing with fisticuffs. And one of the things we want to get at in the book is to show that, first of all, that conflict is inescapable. But the liberal move to the liberal secular move to try to sublimate that into a kind of uneasy tolerance, <clears throat> that is denying reality. And that also, <clears throat> excuse me, that also leads to conflict. In fact, while it may successfully sublimate that conflict for a period of time, it will always come back. Uh, and I think we're seeing that right now. And I think uh, one of the things that liberalism is quite good at is hiding the conflict, hiding the injustice, hiding the violence, hiding the, uh, the, 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 the lack of peace beneath the veneer of tolerance. Um, and sometimes it hides it not just in our own country, but hides it elsewhere. Um, it will hide it. Uh, it will hide it in the third world. It'll hide, you know. It'll hide it in. It'll hide it in Central Africa, where there are wars that are fought, brutal, bloody, child blood-soaked wars that are fought in part because of, in part over, uh, over uh, supply chains uh, for uh, for resources that we use for microchips and so on. Um, uh, and so the idea that we have gotten rid of conflict, that, that because we have, we have, um, we, we've, we've, we've reached this idea of neutrality, um, that has, uh, that has uh, eliminated, uh, kind of theological conflict, uh, that is simply a denial of reality and reality eventually comes back. You know, Brandon, just to keep on the theme of, uh, using, uh, like Bud was talking about, the four horsemen of uh, the apocalypse that we're not supposed to use to make these Catholic points. I actually, when you're talking about this, right, about neutral science making everything better, I immediately thought, 
evidently these people didn't grow up in the 90s and got a steady diet of like terminator or <laughs> you know irobot i guess that's a little later well, the matrix and, and 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 the thing that the reason i say this right is so freud has the theory of projection that when we actually have a reality about ourselves that we don't want to wrestle with we actually read it into the very people um that are outside of us and and in many ways, we telegraph what we are worried about ourselves by throwing it on other people. And I see this with religion. People act like it's religion that is this great veil that is sort of uh, thrown up to hide deeper truths. And that can even be positive or negative. Some people think religion is sort of like a veil or a symbol, a, a, a set of symbols that point to something higher. But usually people say religion is pointing to something more uh, you know, nefarious, right? Like it's it's about in-group, in, uh, uh, you know, self-preservation, all of these things. But the idea is religion is, uh, you know, this veil, this protection. Where actually, it seems to me that the secular world has a lot of, um, a, a lot of projection onto religion, what it does itself, which is to say it has this theory of neutrality that shadow that 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 is a veil that behind it. If you re look d deeper, that there's a lot going on uh, that is actually, like you said, absolute commitments to truths that that they're willing to go to great lengths to. Uh, and, and what's funny, right, is to so another Freudian Lacan to be all Lacanian about these '90s movies. I pointed out it can never be us figuring this out in movies. It's always some other. In the past, it was ghosts in Frankenstein. It was a monster. But for us, it's always robots actually living out uh, the things that our theories might end up doing. So yeah. Skynet and Terminator uh, creates the nuclear war that we're actually maybe making possible because of our technologies. In iRobot, uh, there's a robot revolution in, in The Matrix. We create a fake world that creates a new Plato's cave through technology. It's always the robots. They serve like the role that Hamlet's ghost did in Shakespeare, right? That we can't admit to ourselves that the commitments we're making actually have these world historic significance that can really mess things up. Right. And so it's funny that we blame religion on this when actually this is something that the secular world is doing very well on its own, but doesn't want to confront itself in the mirror. Yeah, you know, this is this is um you know there, there's 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 an honesty in the in the traditional claims of the church to being uh the kind of sole arbiter of of truth. Um you know it's 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 honest. It says this is what's true, this is what isn't. Um and uh and um and not only is the church a kind of keeper of 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 dogma and doctrine uh, but is also a mediator of grace to the world in a unique way. And, you know, with the, these are big claims about what is true and what is not true. The secular, the secularism makes enormous claims, but pretends not to. And that's the thing. That's, and that's where, you know, and that's where you, you get, uh, that's where the kind of the problem lies is, uh, is that we are, we, it's the fish swimming in water thing. The fish doesn't realize it's in water. We don't realize that we are taking in these uh, these false and um, 
and uh, deracinated views of religion. Um, we don't uh, we we don't realize um, that uh, we don't realize that because it's the, in the air we breathe, or in the case of the fish, the water we're swimming in. We don't realize the extent to which secularism doesn't even even many Christians will speak of secularism as as being in a sense liberating. But, uh, but the thing is, is that as we, there's a whole chapter in the book on this. Secularism isn't neutral among conception. Isn't, um, isn't uh, neutral between God and not God. There's no way to be neutral between God and not God. You're either growing in holiness or you're receding. You're either, um, fulfilling your duties to God in the moral life and in terms of worship and liturgy, or you're not. Um, what happens is that secularism, having cleared away the necessity of true religion, seemingly, uh, only makes space for new new idols. So secularism turns out to be, ultimately, idolatry. Because we always organize our life around something. We might claim that organizing it completely around our own autonomy and our own, uh, our, and our own subjectivity or blah, 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 blah. But that's, that's, I mean, it takes a moment of analysis to realize that's not true. Everyone is organizing their lives around some conception of what is right and just. The question is, what is it? Um, and it turns out, and I think that people are understanding this a little bit more now, sometimes embracing it, which is frightening, but it's, but hey, it's like a Stockholm Syndrome thing, uh, that the gods that secularism offers us, things like, profit and power and pleasure that these these idols these gods are at least as exacting at least as demanding in what they uh in what they ask of us but are far less merciful and far less forgiving and far less loving than the true god um so for me you know, as bracing as I think many of the theses in the book are, and potentially to certainly to modern ears, maybe even frightening, I think they're especially essential right now because people are realizing that there's a real darkness in the world right now. And a bold witness, a bold statement of truth, a bold um, uh, and compassionate and joyful and hopeful expression uh, of, of the Christian faith is really essential today because in this darkness, people are going to be grasping for things that are solid, that feel like they're anchored. And a lot of those are going to be bad things. A lot of them is going to be things like racial identity, ethnic identity. It's going to be, it's going to be some weird things. And we're just, we've seen it of course, over the past several years in this country, it's still a small thing, but I think it's growing. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think we really need to, um, I think we really, we, we need to realize that if, if we aren't in this space articulating a, a, a bold and comprehensive and integrated view of what life is and should be and what justice is, including supernaturally, then other people are going to be doing that in weird and destructive ways. Um, so we've got to be bold.
Well, Brandon, we got a minute left, and we yeah. first of all, it's been great, and we appreciate it. It's been a, a fantastic interview. We want to give you the chance to make sure to plug the book, and then also where people can see any of your other projects that you've been up to. Like Bud said at the top of the show, you put all of us to shame in terms of productivity. So please uh, brag about it a little bit because people really should go check your stuff out. Thank, thank you, Bo. Yeah, yeah. You can find the book at Emmaus Road Publishers online. Um, uh, it is right and just is the is the name um and uh, yeah with uh, it was it was really great working with dr han it was a real treat you know uh you can find my other stuff at um brandonmcginley.com i'm on twitter at brandon mcg uh b-r-a-n-d-o-n-m-c-g and um yeah you know i've just uh just kind of like you said kind of keeping busy uh during during this time and uh yeah you can find my stuff uh find my stuff there well, it's been great to have you back on the show. And just make sure to tell your kids that the Bonners have all stuff so they don't even get to play with that outdoor <laughs> equipment anymore. Uh, Brandon McGinley, thank you uh, for go- coming on the show, and we'll talk to you again next time. Thanks, guys. Uh, this is The Uncommon Good. Uh, may Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, reign in our hearts, in our families, our city, our state, our nation. The world, solar system, the entire galaxy, the galaxies of galaxies, the whole kit and caboodle. This is the uncommon good, and we'll be back right after this. <laughs> Folks, if you want to keep up with the prayer life of Iowa Catholic Radio, it's easy to do so. Bud, what are ways that they can pray along with us at the station? Yeah, particularly, Bo, during the season of Advent, as we move towards the joyous celebration of our Lord's Incarnation, please join us daily here on air in prayer. We have opportunities to pray the rosary at 5.30 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 9.30 p.m. We pray the Angelus together daily at 6 in the morning, and all of those prayer opportunities are available 24-7, 365 on the Iowa Catholic Radio app. And folks, we want to make sure you realize, as we said many times before, that this ministry is more than just the people that you hear on air, more than the good people behind the boards that make this possible, like Jimmy and Deacon Tony, more than everyone back in the offices and at the the building that make sure everything run. This is um, everything that... It's a ministry that we all belong to, and we make it possible through uh, your volunteer work, through your willingness to donate to us, of which we're very thankful, uh, and and your prayers, of course. If you want to donate, uh, easy to do so. Go to iowacatholicradio.com, the donate button there. You can also donate through the Iowa Catholic Radio app, like I said. And then also 515-223-1150, you can call to make arrangements or text, and we can make the donation button work there as well. Uh, In this Advent season, as we prepare for the coming of Christ at Christmas, um, as you've probably heard on the radio commercials, there are matching gifts available because people in their generosity want to see Iowa Catholic Radio's ministry keep going to go further and to help those who are uh, at the precipice of the church, who want to come back to the church or want to uh, become more fully in the life of the church. We thank you for all your help. And we hope that you have uh, the, uh, a wonderful Advent season looking forward to Christmas. Bud, I hope everything out there in Nebraska is going well as you guys not only prepare for the Christmas season, but to fully move back here to Des Moines uh, where everybody can see you more often. 
Yeah, thanks, Bo. I hope every all of our listeners are still kind of basking in the glow of the Feast of the Immaculate Conception and then um, have a joyous uh, celebration of Our Lady of Guadalupe this Saturday. Great time of year. Yep, December, uh, rife with wonderful uh, 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 feasts. Uh, we just had St. Nicholas, too, a few days ago. So remember, it is your obligation to celebrate, so do so. This is the Uncommon Good. For Dr. Bud Marr, we'll talk to you all next week. The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcast. Just search for The Uncommon Good.